All right. Well, today we are wrapping up this series looking at the kind of person that Jesus wants us to be. The series is called The Beatitudes. If it's your first Sunday with us or, or, uh, or you're new to all of this, we have spent the last eight weeks going through these list of attributes, uh, this this. Really, it's like a roadmap to becoming more like Jesus. It's a description of the kind of people that Jesus wants his followers to be. In fact, there's nowhere in the New Testament that speaks as much to the specific kinds of blessings that God wants to give you than the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. You know, I believe that God has blessings in store for you, that he wants you to be full and satisfied and to dwell in his presence where you can experience real goodness. Uh, And the way that you do that and what those blessings look like is placed into detail in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is very clear about what it is he wants to bless you with and the pathway to get there. And so uh, I've really enjoyed this series and, lear- and learning from it and learning from this list and uh, uh, th- this passage in Matthew, and I hope that you have as well. Today we're wrapping it up. Here's the last one. It's really two. I'm going to combine them. Uh, and it goes like this. Bless, you know, my wife made fun of me this week because... For the last eight weeks, I've said, blessed, blessed are those who are persecuted. And that is because I grew up in Somerville, South Carolina, in a Baptist church. And there is only one way to read the Beatitudes, and that is the King James way. And blessed are the, but the word is blessed. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to honor my wife this morning. <sighs> I can do it. Blessed. <clears throat> are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed or blessed are those who are persecuted. Rejoice when you are persecuted. These things don't seem to make sense. Because when I'm persecuted, I just don't feel very blessed. I think that for American Christians, persecution is something many of us haven't had a good grasp on. We've lived in a country where Christianity was the status quo for a very long time, which made it difficult for us to identify what it means to truly be persecuted. And it made it impossible for us to imagine how that would make us feel blessed or even want to rejoice. It's led us to declare things like inconveniences like the traffic on I-26 or our inability to follow the directions of others as persecution. I'm being persecuted out here in between exit 37 and exit 40 today. This is a trial from the Lord. He's developing patience in me today. How we see persecution and how we experience it is rapidly changing the world that we live in. And is rapidly changing in the world that we live in. The reality is that in this country, Christianity is no longer the status quo. 
And you're going to have to get a better handle on what it means to be persecuted, what it looks like to be persecuted, and how to respond when you are persecuted. Because the world is rapidly changing. It's been happening for a long time, generation by generation. My grandparents' generation had only 7% of people identifying as no religious affiliation. For Generation X, it was 14%. It doubled in one generation. And then for my generation, millennials, it's 34%. That's an enormous jump from one generation to the next. In fact, last year, for the first time in the history of America, church attendance dropped below 50%. It sits at 46% in 2022, and that is counting all faiths that have a weekly service, not just Christianity. Just evangelical Christians sit at about 32% of the country. That means that 68% of the people I see day to day do not believe what I believe, do not have the same worldview that I have, are not held to the same standard that I am held. In our area, that percentage is much greater. And for the majority of that 68%, their worldview runs absolutely opposite and counter to mine. And my faith is offensive to them. The status quo has changed. It has shifted. So, to the Christians in the room, it's time for you to get a few things straight about persecution. Because if you're going to follow Jesus, it's always been there. But going forward, you're going to see it more clearly than ever before. So here's a few things that you need to know about persecution. Number one, bold faith is going to bring resistance. Bold faith is going to bring resistance. If your faith does not draw resistance from the people who don't share it, then you are hiding your faith. And doing the opposite of what Jesus said right after he read this list. In chapter 5, verse 15 of Matthew, he said, People don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. No, they don't. They, no, they put it on a stand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Uh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Am I hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. If we're truly following Jesus, then we've got to make him known to the world around us. You have to be open about your faith. I know that in this world, that's a little bit intimidating. You, you don't want to get you know, into a meeting with HR or anything like that. You don't, want to, you don't want to be a pariah around the water cooler, the person that nobody tells when they're all going out for lunch. You don't want to be that guy. However, it is not okay to hide your faith around people who might be uncomfortable with it. I'm not telling you to go out there with some tracks and leave them on every bathroom stall or to take a Bible and start smacking people with it and say, the word of the Lord will bless you. I'm not telling you to do that either. I'm not telling you to stand up and just oppose people all of the time. In fact, we'll talk more about that. But what I'm saying is that when the opportunity arises for you to Declare your faith, to talk about church and what it means to you, to talk about your story and what God's done for you, that your calling is to stand up boldly for it, not to turn away from it. And when you do, you're going to meet 
resistance. Jesus said this, John 15, verse 18. It's part of that same conversation we talked about last week where Jesus is trying to brief his disciples on as much as he can before he's crucified and resurrected and then ascends into heaven. This is the Garden of Gethsemane conversation. They're, they're either at the table here or they're walking from the table to the garden. And he says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're also going to persecute you. Throughout his ministry, Jesus drew a clear line between what he called the flesh and the spirit, the world and the kingdom of God. The morality of the world that we live in and the world being all the things outside of the spiritual. The world being what our flesh wants. What desires we have within us. The morality of the world stands in stark contrast to the morality of the kingdom of God. Just in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said a lot of things that were teaching on the kingdom of God that ran counter to the world. And it made people hate Him. Even right there in that moment. Some of those things are that it was popular at the time to divorce simply because you were bored with who you were married with or because the relationship got hard or because there was somebody else you were interested in. And so people would just write letters of divorce all over. The law of Moses allowed for it. It was commonplace. Jesus said marriage is something that we should fight for and protect. And people hated him for that. The law of the land back then was literally an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The Code of Hammurabi, if you remember from your ancient history classes, uh, was written long before Jesus walked the earth. But in this time period, it was still the law of the land in the Middle East as far as justice was concerned. And a part of that code was punishments are equal. It's an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus said, you've heard that said before, but I tell you this, you should forgive people and even turn the other cheek if they strike you so that they can strike you again. And people hated that. It was popular at this time to resist the government whenever they had the opportunity. One way was to refuse to help Roman soldiers carry their gear the one mile they could compel you to. This was a minor act of rebellion that had spread across this region by a sect of political extremists called the Zealots. And Jesus addressed that and said, if someone asks you to carry their gear, go ahead and carry it not just one mile, but two. People really hated that. Jesus even told them to pay their taxes in the same breath that he reminded them to pay their tithes. And people really hated that. Jesus and his group of followers, these 12 disciples that went with him everywhere, he had both a zealot 
and someone who worked for Rome collecting taxes. Guys on the absolute opposite ends as far as the world was concerned, but united in pursuing the kingdom of God. And the more that he did things like that and united people like that and addressed issues like this, the more people hated him for it. So people hated Jesus. And if you actually follow Jesus, there are going to be those who hate you as well. Because in this culture, to believe in one pathway to heaven is offensive to many. In this culture, to honor and live by God's word is offensive to many. But so, if you boldly follow Jesus and declare his truth and live by his word without ever attacking or actively opposing others, you're still going to be offensive to many. The Apostle John says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, and it's not talking about the people of the world. That's something you need to make sure you understand about this passage. The message of God and the message of Jesus is overwhelmingly clear. You are to love people. You are to love them exactly where they are. You're not to judge them. You're not to set a sentence before them. You are to give them love and show them love. But the world, everything that is not of God, the, the, the world... If you love the world, love for the Father cannot be in you. And then verse 16, he explains, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. In order to understand this beatitude, You have got to understand this basic truth that is drawn into the whole story of the Bible. There is a way that the world is going to tell you is good, but it is not good. If you want proof, look at the lives of the people who live by it. Are they happy? Are they satisfied? Do they have peace? And if the answer is yes, is it lasting? Or does it always wither away at some points? John calls that way of life the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's the need to get whatever feels good. Sex and drugs and gluttony and all the things that our flesh craves, but we know with every fiber of our being, they are tearing us apart. The lust of the flesh. The need to possess all that looks good to us. To have a a beautiful Instagram friendly life. The desire for more that always nags at your heart. More money, more attention, more power. This quest for the city of gold that has taken countless lives over the centuries. The lust of the eyes. And then this need to be important. The need to be better than somebody else. The need to be noticed for how good you are, how great you are. The arrogance that leads us into sin. The pride that tells us we don't need God because we are our own God. The pride of life. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. And the pride of life are the driving forces of the world around us. 
And so if you have bold faith in Jesus and you don't abide in these things, you don't pursue these things, in fact, you oppose these things, you are going to bring resistance into your life because the world fights back. The farther from God our culture gets, the more these things become the gold standard forced on even our children as values. And so how can we stand firm against them and love our Father without facing any kind of persecution? We can't. James chapter 4, verse 4 says this in the harshest way possible. You adulteresses! So, so gentle, James. Do you not know that the friendship, that even friendship with the world is hostility towards God? And therefore, whoever chooses to be a friend of the world renders himself an enemy of God. So the, the Bible just, it draws a line in the sand. You can't dabble. You can't have both. Will you stand firm? Will you love God and pursue his truth and his way? Or will you love this world and all it tells you to value? You are called to meekness, and you are called to mercy, and you are called to be a peacemaker, not to go out looking for fights to have. But you are also called to persecution. This world is not my home. It would not make sense for me to fit in while I am in it. In the country we live in, this kind of bold faith is not going to get you killed or imprisoned. In fact, the kinds of persecution that we're going to face are mild compared to what some people across the world are facing today. But it is persecution. It may mean that your family distance themselves from you because of your beliefs. It may mean that you lose influence over people who disagree with you. It may mean that you become an outsider or an outcast because of your convictions, because they stand in contrast to the world around you. It may mean that the same people who cry out for tolerance stop tolerating you. It may just mean that you are alone in the room in your faith, and you have to learn how to stand bold in it without backup. It may look different for you, and I'm sure it's going to change over and over again in the future. One thing is for sure, if you have bold faith, it will bring resistance. But along that line, it's important to know this about persecution. Number two, don't go looking for it. None of the church fathers woke up in the morning, rubbed battle paint on their faces, and said, time to get persecuted. <laughs> I was picturing Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, rather, they just woke up and declared the name of Jesus with little regard to what would happen to them if they did. There's a very big difference. There is a tendency in some believers today to go and attempt to provoke persecution through antagonizing and openly opposing the people in this world who, where we live who do not follow Jesus. That is not how you receive the blessing of this beatitude. 
Remember Paul's words in the book of Romans. He said, if, if it is possible, as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In Hebrews 12, 14, it says, strive for peace with everyone. Proverbs 20, verse 3 says, it is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife. But every fool will be quarreling. Acts chapter 2 describes the very first church movement as having gained favor with all men. The Bible, in the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are the peacemakers. And so you are called to peace. And to make peace and to pursue peace and to have peace. Not to just start fights everywhere you go. That means... That you stand firm in your faith. You teach the gospel. You share your story. You boldly declare Jesus' name. You serve the church and keep the message and the mission of God moving forward. Doing those things alone are going to lead you into persecution. As we've just discussed. There is no need to provoke it or to look for it under every rock and around every corner. Sometimes... The things happening in the news aren't happening to persecute you. They're just things that are happening. Sometimes they're not even happening to you. It's also important to understand that all of your troubles are not persecution. Sometimes they're just troubles. When life is hard, it doesn't always mean that the devil is trying to persecute you. It may just mean that life is hard. Sometimes everything that can go wrong does go wrong. Now there is an enemy out there who seeks to persecute you. And following Jesus is going to lead you to his persecution as well. There's no doubt about it. But it's not everywhere. And it's not everything. There's a story called Don Quixote about an old warrior who goes on an adventure and in one part of the story he rides his donkey at what he thinks are giants to attack them as they attack him. But his vision is faded. And in the story he's attacking windmills. So sometimes it is giants. But other times it's just windmills. Learn the discernment to tell the difference. And until you do develop the maturity and the discernment to tell the difference between windmills and giants, operate in grace and peace and just boldly share your faith. Don't go looking for persecution. And until you can, when you are persecuted or you think you're being persecuted, don't fight back. Rejoice. Because you are receiving the blessing. 1 Peter 4.14 If you're insulted because of the name of Jesus, because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So just keep going forward. Keep going forward. And serve God. And bless His name. And boldly declare it. And you will face persecution. Don't go looking for it under every rock. The last thing is this. Keep your eyes up because the blessing comes later. 
Keep your eyes up because the blessing comes later. The promise Jesus makes in this one isn't one we get in this life. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There is this misconception that it's all going to work out for us here in this life. That's not the story the Bible tells. In fact, Jesus talks about the prophets before you. Well, go back and read through the story of these prophets. It was not great for prophets like Jeremiah and Hosea and some of these men whose lives were a challenge and were a difficulty from start to finish. They were so hard. The story of Hosea is a story of a prophet that God used as an object lesson. He wanted to teach Israel how he loves them no matter what. And so he asked Hosea to go and marry a prostitute named Gomer. And he did. And he loved her. And he had children with her. And one day she left him and went back to her profession. Oh, and it broke his heart. He was absolutely shattered by it. But then God said, you've got to go and find her, Hosea. You've got to go look for her. And so he went into the red light district and he found her bound up in chains and he negotiated for her, for his wife and for the mother of his children and brought her home and loved her all the same. And God used him to teach us how he loves us no matter what we do or where we go. But I am certain this was not an easy life for my guy Hosea. I'm certain that he would have chosen an easier path if it had been given to him, but he did not. And this life that you are living in, sometimes it's just hard all the way through from start to finish. And as we continue to see the world around us change and evolve and we see our culture make shifts away from Christianity and Christianity is no longer the status quo and it's, it's not cool to be a Christian. I remember there was a time when I was growing up where if you were a pastor and people found out about it, there was a little bit of prestige there or respect that people had for you. Now when people ask me what I do for a living, I say, I, I work with people. I'm in the nonprofit area. It's a nonprofit sector and I work with people. I do some public speaking from time to time. It's, it's terrifying to, to answer that question. A wall comes up that I have to spend months tearing back down again so that I can have a relationship with them. And as the world changes, it's not going to get easier for you to be boldly declaring your faith in it. It's going to get harder. But the blessing is on the other side of this world. In fact, many of the blessings the Bible describes are on the other side of this world. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, although outwardly we are wasting away. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I, I need you to understand that as Paul says, light 
and momentary troubles. He has been through it at this point. He's been stoned once. He's been arrested a few times. He's been cast out of multiple towns and ran off with pitchforks, essentially. He's been thrown out of the very synagogues that he devoted the first half of his life to. And he says, these are light and momentary troubles. So, American Christian, we are facing light and momentary troubles. It may not be as easy as you want it to be, but rejoice. Because these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Keep your eyes up because the blessing comes later. I'm just telling you that what the Bible has asked you to do is live in this world counter to the way the world has told you to live. To live a different kind of life. Not to be the kind of person that just goes with the flow and follows the status quo and lets all the people around you determine what it is you think and say and, and, and fight for. Instead, let the Word of God, let His truth, let the Spirit of God and the people of God help you determine what it is you stand for and you fight for. And increasingly as you do so, you're going to be doing it counter to the way the world moves around you and that's going to get uncomfortable at first and downright hard over time but it's what you've been called to do and the more you do it the more not only do you increase the blessing that waits for you on the other side of this life but the more you give others the opportunity to enjoy that as well that's what we are called to we are called and created and purposed to bring the life-changing hope and message of Jesus into a world that is in desperate need of it. The way that we do it is by standing firm in that hope and that faith, declaring it, sharing it, telling people about it, not just going along with all the things that they are trying to get away from in the first place. Keep your eyes up. The blessing comes later. Maybe you're a part of the generation that came before me. And you're watching, or you've watched, the world change and our faith become a smaller and smaller part of it. That's a difficult thing to witness. But in every season throughout history, the church is not 200 years old like America. America came way after the church did. I don't know, some, some folks, that's going to be news. The Bible's not about America. And in every season where the church has faded from popularity in the nation that it was in, in every season, for 2,000 years, there has been revival on the other side of it. And the church has thrived on the other side of it, not publicly, not as a part of the government, but in people's homes and hearts. In this world, Christians, Christianity and Christians were never meant to be the status quo. That's why there's so much about persecution in the New Testament. The reality is that mainstream Christianity 
often becomes lukewarm Christianity. So, stand firm. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't alienate and attack the world around you. Love them. Care for them. The Bible says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And if despite that, standing your standing firm in your faith brings persecution, then let it come. And for the generation that I'm a part of and those coming behind me, stand firm and love people well. Fix your eyes on Jesus. We are going to see more and more persecution as the world continues to change. And that's okay. That's always been the story and it always will be until the day that Jesus restores everything. Paul says this to a young pastor named Timothy who was pastoring in a Greek city. It's different than how I was going to end the message, so you won't see this behind me. But I read this this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. What we have that the rest of the world never will is the real thing. The things that actually do bring peace and hope and joy and blessing and life. And even though it's a hard life following Jesus or it's meant to be, it's what you were made for. And so there's a wholeness that comes to your heart with it that you can't experience doing anything else. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life will never sustain you or fill you like a life spent pursuing Jesus. If you're in here today and you've spent all of your life pursuing the one, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and never felt anything but longing for more, a wondering of what there is in this life for you, a a, a desire to understand why it's never enough, and you would rather live a life feeling whole and full and satisfied and blessed. Blessed in the nine blessings that come through the Beatitudes. Blessed with a wholeness in your heart. The Bible calls a shalom kind of peace, meaning in a complete and an entire and a, a total peace in your hearts. If you would rather live in that way, then all you have to do is begin on a pathway to pursuing the way of Jesus. You accept the blessing and the gift that he gave you through his crucifixion and resurrection and you start the journey of becoming more like him. It won't always be easy, but it will be better than anything you ever could have imagined on your own. And so if you'd like to start that journey today, every head bow, every eye closed, pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for trying to do this on my own, for trying to figure it out on my own, for trying to go forward on my own. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me, Lord. And I believe in you. And I've tried everything else, and I'm ready to do it your way. And so everything that I am from this day forward, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen.